pasa la juca si no le voy a dar con esa. Y el pum 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 Good afternoon. Uh, we want to welcome you to the San Antonio, Texas Soccer Roundtable. We have Coach Derek Pittman with us, who's the head coach for our UTSA Women's Soccer Program. Um, this is going to be his third season whenever the season starts as the head coach. He started in May of 2018. He was also the head coach um, at the University of Iowa. Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Idaho. Um, he's also led UTSA to their best record since 2011 in 2019. He was the 2015 Big Sky Coach of the Year. He has been a college coach um, in different capacities for 17 years. Those colleges include Gonzaga University, Arkansas State, and the University of Missouri. Um, and he also started coaching at the club level, so he's got a little bit of experience in everything. And he's originally from Tulsa, but we aren't going to hold that against him, um, especially after all of the uh, substitution gate that happened this week. So we're just going to gloss drama over. with Tulsa, yeah. but that'll be legal. We're going to gloss over that. So I appreciate that. Don't hold that against me. We won't. No problem. Um, but we'll start with some of the late breaking news that it just came out maybe a few hours ago that the CUSA is going to be pushing volleyball and soccer to the spring. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, because um, you've been practicing, I've seen your social media. Mm -hmm. So how that impacts um, your training, are they still allotting the same number of training days? Has that impacted? I know NCAA raised the training, um, some of the training days and kind of how that just changes your your structure and your strategy, um, know, knowing that you're going to be pushed into the spring. Yeah, it's definitely been difficult, um, but I, I'm really proud of our players, how they've kind of carried themselves, the things that they've done. Um, we did, we, we were fortunate enough to bring all of our players on campus back in early July uh, for initial screening process, uh, being able to get all of our freshmen on campus back at that point in time, uh, all of our returners back on campus and being able to work out with our strength staff pretty much the entire month of July. So it was great to be able to do that. We were very fortunate and thankful that um, we were able to have that you know, opportunity because there's a lot of schools out there that just weren't even able to do things like that. Um, we were then able to uh, began our first practices back on August 4th was our first kind of full team training session when we started preseason. At that time, we still had in our mind that we were going to be able to play on August 20th, which would have been this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were actually going to be opening up with a game at the University of Texas. And uh, that was going to be the first time I'd had a chance to play up there in Austin since uh, becoming the head coach here. And we were very much looking forward to it. Our opening weekend, it was actually going to be uh, against U, U Texas and then also University of well, Texas Tech University. So wow. it's going to be a huge, huge test for our young players. Um, and uh, But I wanted to be able to test them right out of the gate, find out what we were made of. Um, and, we, and we were working very hard towards that. I feel like our players are in great shape. They're hitting the ground running. We, all of our training was very much pointed in that direction uh, towards that. Things shifted over the last three weeks, without a doubt, to 
that those games being pushed to September and then our first game was going to be September 3rd, I believe. And then everything shifted, like you said, just here recently with the announcement of Conference USA, really following suit with the NCAA and how the structure was all set up with the NCAA, not, well, with more than 50% of the college, Division One college teams uh, bowing out and deciding to move uh, as a conference or as a school to the competitions in the spring, that didn't allow for us to be able to ultimately have our conference championship and ultimately play an NCAA championship. So once the NCAA made that announcement, Conference USA basically followed suit and pushed everything as far as the competition to the spring. The challenge is we just don't know what that's going to look like yet. Um, There's been no announcement from the NCAA of of exactly how long um, our season will be in the spring. When will the championships be? So when can our conference championships be? It, or do we get a seven-week season? Do we get an eight-week season? Do we get a 10-week season? And, and mm-hmm. you know, is it only going to be conference-only opponents? We're going to be able to play conference opponents plus a few non-conference. Um, and so with that being said, that's where it's also kind of left us in a little bit of a limbo here in the fall. Um, because as of right now, the way that we're doing it is we are moving forward as if we are still playing a, a game on September 10th. Uh, we have Texas Tech coming to play us here on September 10th as an quote-unquote now exhibition match. Sure. Um, but we're trying to proceed forward so that our players feel like they have something to look forward to. They feel like they have something to train for. And all of the work they've been initially putting in at this point in time is, is for something. And awesome. not just yeah, not just preparation for spring. It, it's uh, an opportunity to hopefully play five or six games potentially this fall, mm-hmm. throughout the months of September and October. Okay. Um, and, and so there has been no ruling from the NCAA or even the institution or even Conference USA that we can't play some non-conference games this fall uh, as exhibition matches. And so I'm really working hard to keep our players focused on that. Also, at the same time, keeping our seniors feeling like they're having something to play for, something to train for, to get the most out of the, the fall and spring for them before they graduate in May. And so uh, it, it's, it was definitely a disappointing blow and frustrating because I've, I, I feel like we've been kind of sitting in that limbo of are we going to play, are we not going to play, what does that look like for quite some time. And, uh, you know, really – we talk about our players to our players a lot is that adversity doesn't build character. It reveals it. And that's where we're trying to keep our players mindset. Hey, focus on what we can control, focus on what we can do. Let's keep getting better. I feel like we're in the best condition and, and best situation that we've been in in a long time. in the three years I've been here and so we want to just do everything we can to keep building on that. So I know Danielle wanted to talk more about the three years that you've been there and what you've been able to accomplish mm-hmm. and, and how you accomplished some of those things. But let's focus on the positive. You just said that you guys have an upcoming scrimmage against Texas Tech Red Raiders Ladies Soccer, which for those of you that aren't aware, is a very competitive women's program in NCAA well, division. I, and I apologize. Not to start you actually, Texas, we were supposed to play Texas Tech. That has been canceled. We have a game coming up against Texas State. So Texas I call State. it. Yeah, yeah, Texas State is coming down from San Marcos on September 10th, as of right now. 
Gotcha. That, and that's, that's exciting to hear that you guys are, are just taking this and trying to do what you can to get the girls and, and keep them ready and, and have some of these exhibition games. Is I'm guessing that's something that's probably not going to be open to the public. As of now, I don't believe so, no. It, or if it is, it will be very, very limited on a pass list only type situation. Family uh, or, or okay. close friends would be the only. <laughs> there you you go. can put us on the media, pass list. Media, media, media members. Happily. <laughs> media we'll, see, we'll see what we can do. Uh, um, sounds I'm, good. I'm excited for that, though. I'm glad to yeah. hear you guys have some upcoming matches still. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all. I mean, we, as of right now, um, you know, there's been a number of schools from the Southland, from the Sun Belt, even the American Athletic with Houston, um, you know, that, that are still wanting to play and sure. still being allowed to play. So we're hopefully we can get maybe a game in against uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Um, we can play. Houston may come over or we may go over there. Um, and we had a previous game scheduled against Abilene Christian as well. Um, you know, get just, just to be able to get some games. And to be honest with you, I think one of the big things that a lot of people aren't talking about is the emotional and mental strain that this has really taken on our athletes. And, you know, and, and again, on everybody for that matter, like high school age kids, college age kids, everybody that's been having to unfortunately be cooped up in their homes or been quarantined or isolated. It's, it's a huge challenge. And, for our players being able to feel like they've been able to get out and train on a regular basis and then have a game to compete for and prepare for, uh, it is huge for their emotional state and mental state to be able to look, you know, just look forward to that, enjoying each other's company and, and feel like they're putting in a time and effort for something that really, really matters a lot to them. Now, that's a great segue because one of the things that I noticed is that you're a program builder. You know, you've really taken the University of Idaho and a lot of the other teams that you've been a part of. Um, you've really made strides in building and changing programs and getting that recognition. I mean, Coach of the Year is, is a significant um, accomplishment. And, you know, you took the team to a place that it hadn't been for seven years. You know, a, a, a record of, I think, eight, eight and one was the best record they've had since 2011. So um, it almost seems like you've done an about face with that team. And, and I know when, when teams maybe aren't having a great record or a great season and they're not getting those victories. Um, I coached on one, I coached, I was an assistant coach on a team that they were, they were the last place team in, in their conference. We, we shall not name names. Um, <laughs> But it starts taking a toll on them mentally, emotionally, even even physically. And so I just wanted to kind of, you know, get your perspective on how do you build a program? You know, how do you take these students who are discouraged, who are feeling dejected, who don't believe in themselves or the team and definitely don't probably don't even believe in each other that like, I'm not going to pass you the ball because you're just going to blow it again. I know we've all been on teams that that's happened. And so how did you, you know, revitalize this team that in two years now, now they're winning, now they're, there's some excitement about it? Sure. I, you know, I, I appreciate that question, Daniel. I, I think this is my third head coaching gig. Um, I first at Arkansas State, very exactly what you're talking about. Inherited a program that went like one in 19 
year before I got there. I mean, it was, it was awful. You know, and the way I looked at it as a young head coach, there was only one direction it could go. I couldn't make it work. <laughs> um, you know, and, and what's funny is back then, this was back in 2007. I had just gotten married. Uh, my wife and I have been married now 13 years. We had just moved to a new home, all those things. And, um, and it was just very much, my approach back then was very much just uh, attitude, effort, elbow grease, you know, like we're just going to work harder. And, uh, and to some extent that worked and we were fortunate enough by my third season to make it to the conference semifinals, do a lot of really positive things there, but it, it felt very result-based. It felt very outcome-based um, and, and I struggled with that. And so actually that's when I took a step back and became the associate head coach at Gonzaga and moved to the Northwest to coach with a friend of mine who was very much, very strong in culture building, very strong in, in just building uh, players up in, in the sense of something for a long-term sustainable situation. And so with what I learned there at Gonzaga and then ultimately took to Idaho and brought here to UTSA was the pure and simple fact of is it all starts with our core values. It all starts with our foundation. It all starts with our players buy-in um, regardless of, you know, and yes, don't get me wrong. We need talent to be successful. And what I walked into here at UTSA wasn't an empty cupboard. It, there, there was some talent uh, on the roster without a doubt, but it was just a very fragmented, very fractured environment. And, you know, players just, like you said, just didn't buy in or just didn't get along. And so a lot of the things that we did right off the bat was to really develop our core values. Who And, and we, we sat and had, like, numerous meetings early on in my first year here about who are we? Like, what are the things that we want to keep that we do really well that you guys are like, no, we can't get rid of this, like, and whatever that is. And then what are the stuff that we need to get rid of? Like what, what are the things that we absolutely don't want to go back there? And then we talked about who are we, who do we want to be as we move forward? And that's when we developed our core values of family grit and integrity. And those were the, and these are all things that our players came up with at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we kind of have a deal within, um, we talk a lot and, and this is, this permeates everything we do from how we go about our training. How about we go, I, I have this discussion with all of our recruits. I have our, this discussion with all of our players, our leaders, you name it, anyone, our train, anybody that is involved with our program and has an opportunity to have an impact on our players and our athletes, they know what our core values are. And, it, and what we talk about, it starts with family. And for us, it, it starts with love. If you love what you do, if you love the people you're with and you love the university you get a chance to represent, then you will make any sacrifice necessary for that program to be successful. And not only will you make any sacrifice for that program, you'll do whatever you can to build your team or your community up in a positive manner. And so that's where it all starts for us is on the family side. And then, and we know, listen, we're not blood related, but we, we sweat, bleed, cry, everything together like a family does. And so that, that's where we feel like it starts for us. And then the second thing we talk a lot about is grit. And they chose the word grit because they felt that uh, it was the toughest version or the strongest version of toughness they could think of. And what we talk about there is a lot of perseverance, resilience, all of those things. We have a mentality in our team kind of called, called solve problems is that we want to be solution-oriented individuals. 
And our, one of our favorite quotes in our, um, in our program is, is from, you know, the, the Greek philosopher, Mike Tyson, that said, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And, and, <laughs> and it's the truth is that we go into games sometimes. We go into training sessions sometimes and we have this idea in our mind that we want to accomplish this. And all of a sudden, the opponent throws a curveball at us. They play a different formation. They come out with a different lineup, whatever it is. And, and, you know, you make a mistake. You give up a goal early. You get punched in the mouth. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Us coaches can't be on the field. We've got to be able to solve it ourselves as players. We talk a ton about that. And, and what that for us we talk about is it takes courage. You, it takes courage to pick yourself back up off the mat when you get knocked down or your back's against the wall. What are you going to do about it in those last 10 minutes in response to a goal? You know, we talk about it, it's better to have execute a poor plan than not to have a plan at all in, in the sense of our players. You can't just we, – we're never going to be in a situation where we just throw up our hands and say, I don't know what to do. Like, no, find a solution. Figure it out. And that's what we mean by grit, just showing that toughness to be able to fight through that adversity and those challenges. And then the third one being integrity is we talk a lot about just do what you say you're going to do. You say you're going to show up to those classes on time, then you do that. If you show that you say you're going to do the summer workouts or put in the time and effort, then you're going to do that. Have integrity in everything you do. Be accountable to your teammates. Take ownership of where you are as a person as a, and a player and ultimately chase excellence and have respect for the people that, you know, uh, you're working with. So I, I would say that's a quick little snapshot of kind of what our program has been based on. And that is what we talk about every day is we play a cruel game and you guys can attest this. There's many days when you're going to play games, you've coached games, you've seen games that you outshoot your opponents 25 to five and you lose one, nothing on a bad referee call or somebody makes a mistake, you name it. Right. Like those Name are our flops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no doubt. And, and, and those are the things that you can't control. And, and there's also times when we've been on the other side of that result where mm -hmm. we've held on with all we have and we just snuck in a set piece goal and we win one, nothing. And we had no business walking away with three points. And so what we talk to our players about is we measure ourselves. Did we play like a family? Did we show love and sacrifice for one another? Did we show grit and toughness and courage? Did we show integrity and in being prepared for that contest as much as we possibly could? Um, did we show respect for one another? And if we do those things more times than not, the results will take care of themselves. And I've seen it be successful at Idaho when we were able to flip that program around pretty quickly it's definitely been a little longer road here at UTSA because Conference USA is fantastic. Conference USA is a very strong uh, conference with North Texas, Rice, Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, go on down the list of really difficult opponents. But where we used to get ourselves just absolutely wiped by those teams losing five, six, nothing to North Texas or Charlotte, so on and so forth. I mean, we've now been able to put ourselves in the position to where last year, like you mentioned, Danielle, we went into the very final game against UTEP with a chance to make the conference tournament. And we've never made the conference tournament here uh, since 2013 when UTSA moved to Conference USA. And we feel like we're making strides and closing that gap uh, and, and doing a really good job. And we have feel like, and that's what's so kind of gutting about this season mm -hmm. is that we feel like we have even a better roster of talent 
uh, and depth and with with the real possibility of challenging for a conference championship or at least conference tournament berth and those things. So we, we feel like we're moving in the right direction, but that is definitely the core of what we do and our culture, our foundation, how we recruit. I, I literally will sit in a, a zoom call now, but sit in a, an official visit situation. And I will tell them what I just told you. And I will tell a kid, please, please, please do not commit here if you don't buy into these things, because if you don't buy into these things, you will be miserable. I will be miserable. You're going to end up transferring away because we're going to butt heads like crazy because this is how we hold ourselves accountable each and every day. And so we hope that we're recruiting players of high character, recruiting players of high talent as well. And and just individuals that really are in line um, with who we are each and every day. And that's one of our hashtags is UTSA DNA. Uh, and we push that out is because we feel like we have to have players who live out our UTSA DNA each and every day. Well, coach, I was kind of curious, just, just on that recruitment point, and uh, you got to buy in for me here. I still got four years of NCAA eligibility if uh, you need somebody, <laughs> but I think that might be against the rules. What's that recruiting process been like for you kind of this off season? I mean, I know at first when we thought it was only going to be a couple of weeks with the schools closed, you guys kind of figured you'd still have that period how has that changed now with as long as this, this has all gone on? It's definitely shifted things, no doubt. Uh, we were very lucky that we were very aggressive in our 2021 recruitment of players, and we didn't need a big class. We only have five seniors on the team right now. Okay. So as of right now, we have four verbal commitments for 2021 that will hopefully be signing into, in uh, November. Uh, we may still add one or two more to that class. Um, but we're being very patient and I think we can afford to do that because I think there's the transfer portal when it comes to recruiting Mm -hmm. is going to open things up. Mm -hmm. Um, just because of even COVID, like, um, even with everything that's going on now that the NCAA announcing, not just that we're pushing the season to the spring is that regardless of how many games a kid plays, every single kid on every roster across the country is now going to get an extra year. So this is a, almost acts as a redshirt year. Now, saying that, it doesn't mean that all these programs are going to be able to afford to keep those players. So I think you're going to see the transfer portal blow up. I think we can be a bit patient in that, in the one or two players that we still want to add to our team going into 2021. Um, the other thing is with 2022, we only have three juniors on the team, so we only need a class of three or four for 2022 we already have one verbal commitment from a local talent here in in, uh, in town, and we hope to be, uh, you know, gaining some verbal commitments from some other local talent. I would say it's really – the biggest thing for us is it's really shifted us to recruit a lot more locally and, and not just in San Antonio but also in the South Texas area. And that was always a goal of ours in the beginning. In 2019, we came in and we were just, you know, hey, who, who can we get? because we were late in the recruiting process. What's the best talent available? Let's bring those bodies in here and let's compete. And, and I think we did an excellent job of that with our, 20, or our 2019 class. Our 2020 class is another step better. Our 21s and our 22s uh, are, are definitely going to be another step in the right direction. But I would say we're, we're, our plan as a coaching staff is a 100% recruit the crap out of San Antonio, South Texas. Yep. 
and, and try – I mean, and, I, and you don't have to look too far to a player like Kendall Closa, mm-hmm. who went off to Virginia Commonwealth uh, in her first year, had a disappointing experience, and immediately wanted to come home to San Antonio. And she's arguably one of our top players on our roster. Um, you know, we, we've had many other incidences like that. Abby Castle, who uh, is from Denver, Colorado, but uh, transferred from NC State. Gabby Crenshaw, who uh, transferred to us from Washington State, who has a sister that lives in Austin. I mean, San Antonio is a tremendous place to recruit to. UTSA is a booming you know, university mm-hmm. and campus that's growing and athletic department with the addition of the new facilities that are currently being built. Uh, we're, we're making strides under President Amy's, uh, you know, his vision, his plan, and then ultimately Dr. Lisa Campos carrying that out as our athletic director. There's a lot. I, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I took the job back in 2018 and, and really actively pursued the job because I sincerely feel that our, uh, athletic department and our soccer program is an absolute diamond in the rough and, and hopefully we'll be able to be here long enough to continue reaping the benefits of that. I wanted to kind of touch on, um, cause I think all of our eyes sort of popped a little bit when you started talking about Texas tech and university of Texas at Austin. I mean, those are big schools. Those are ambitious teams, ambitious games. Um, We had Avery Chaney on, who was a DA player who's dabbled with national youth national team levels, who went to Texas, who's going to Texas Tech. Uh, She started in the spring, so this would be her first season. Um, We know that they have rich histories, long histories, long traditions, um, but they're also known for, for talent. And so are you ambitious? Do you want to beat these teams? Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I, you have no idea. Like, I'm not saying, you know, if we played them 10 times, right. you know, let's be honest, like, I'm sure they're going to outshoot us in that 25 to five every time. But I, I do believe our players are talented enough if we put in the right, you know, and that's the beauty. That's what I love about the game is that Tom, there's no doubt Tom Stone is an absolute legend when it comes to the college game and what he's done in his career. Uh, at a number of different levels, and, and you're absolutely right. Texas Tech is a very, very talented side. Um, you know, even the University of Texas, and you know, Coach Ange has done a phenomenal job there as well. Like even uh, G. Guerreri uh, and I both went to the University of Tulsa. You know, he's he's been there how many years? Like 28 years at Texas A&M. You know, it, and all of these programs have been to. I mean, Texas A&M Final Four. Sweet 16s, Elite 8s. I mean, and don't get me wrong, like, you know, I'm not under some delusion that we're going to walk in and, and beat them every time. But I do think that our players can learn and compete. We played Oklahoma State at the beginning of the 2019 season in our second game of the season, and we were tied 1-1 with them at halftime. Unfortunately, a storm rolled in to good old Beaumont, Texas and shut down the, the game and we weren't able to play the second half. And, you know, would we have come away with a win there? I, I don't know. But I was extremely proud of our players of how much we frustrated their team, how much we made it really difficult for them. Uh, in fact, in 2021, our opening weekend right now, we're planning on going up to Oklahoma State and playing them and the, potentially the University of Pittsburgh or possibly my alma mater, University of Tulsa, we'll see. But there's, there's supposed to be a little bit of a tournament there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've, 
I've told our staff, we typically get anywhere from eight to 10 non-conference games every year. And I want at least two, if not three of those to be power five schools. We want to be measuring ourselves against those teams to find out what we have. And because it, it doesn't do us any good, in my opinion, to just be just play a bunch of teams we feel like we can beat. Um, it's not going to prepare us for Conference USA. North Texas, it was ranked uh, like RPI, I think a couple of years ago, RPI like 30th. Ford Atlantic last year was RPI 32. Um, Rice has been traditionally RPIs in the top 50, top 60. If we don't play those top end power five schools or at least schools that are in that neighborhood it's not going to do us any good and i've seen some crazy things i was fortunate enough at idaho we were down 4-1 in the second half to university of memphis at the time at our place and we came back and won 5-4 and at the time they were rpi ranked like 40th in the country and we were like 170th it's just and we know how this game is right like on any given day um you know we, if we line up right and get the right matchups and we execute our game plan, we can put ourselves in a position to win those matches. And so absolutely, Daniel, we want to play those teams whenever we possibly can as much as we can. That's awesome. We, I love hearing that. Um, it's something we have talked about with high school. So whenever the high school season rolls around, we're always talking about these, these really excellent teams need to have a difficult preseason to get them prepared for everything. Um, and actually, I was going to cue Harry in on that um, and see if he had any <laughs> questions. But it's something that we firmly believe in, and we think you know it just makes good teams better, and then it, it prepares you for your, your conference. It prepares you for what you're going to see, and like you talked about, that grit. You have to have that grit um, to play those teams. I remember in college, we were, we were a NAIA team, and the Canadian U-17 national team came to play us, and we were – we our our heads were reeling. We were like, uh, they're just playing playing ping pong with us, yep. pinball. It's just going around. We're we're just it's as if we're just standing there. So um it's excellent. Um yep. so we love hearing that. We we love um and we love that San Antonio is you know having those teams and getting that visibility. So um that's significant. Coach, I love just hearing you talk about how you guys have kind of reworked some of your recruiting strategy around that local and, and, and you know, talent and everything. And I think that's a big deal that we've kind of brought up a lot, too. And one of the things that I think Danielle is curious about, because I know we only have a few minutes left for, for this portion of the show. Um, how do you how do you try and get more women coaches involved in, in the women's game? Have you in your experience coaching women's soccer? What, what's your experience been coming across that? And, and how do you change that to think a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a there's a ton of really top talented young women in the game. Um, I was fortunate enough to have had quality assistant coaches. Uh, I even worked with um, at the University of Georgia when I was the assistant coach there. Um, my boss was uh, Sue Papberg, who was at the time the U16 national team coach back in 2003, 2004. Um, you know, and she, she did a phenomenal job just trying to bring up young female coaches and open the door for them to come out and watch uh, training sessions. And I still try to do that today. You know, uh, once all this COVID mess goes, like we, our training sessions are open. And so if there's ever, you know, high school coaches, club coaches that want to come out and watch our training sessions and just even have discussions, we want to be able to do that. Um, 
And again, my boss uh, had at Gonzaga, Amy Edwards, who had had a tremendous amount of success as a head coach at the University of Tulsa and then did a solid job at Gonzaga. Like, you know, these are women, very strong, independent, very intelligent women that about the game that I've, ha- I've learned a lot from and I've hopefully been able to pay that back. And in fact, Laura Jackson, Laura Jackson was my assistant coach as a graduate assistant up at the University of Idaho, was with me for three years, helped us win multiple conference championships. She then leaves, goes to Florida Atlantic, wins a conference championship. And then in her first year at the University of Kansas as an assistant coach, wins a conference championship there in the Big 12. And so she's going to, no doubt, she's going to be a head coach one day. And and right now I have a very strong uh, female coach, Cameron Carter, who uh, is from Waco, played goalkeeper at the University of Arkansas, and then came up to be my graduate assistant at Idaho for one year. And it, she knew it was too cold. So she was happy when I got the UTSA job. Uh, and so she, she quickly, you know, jumped on board and has been phenomenal. She's a 25 year old, young, strong female that is doing a phenomenal job, you know, learning her craft. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we want to provide as many of those opportunities as possible. So the, the young female coaches and male coach for that matter, but are, you know, can come out and utilize, our program as a bit of a beacon or as a bit of a guide. We know as a female team, we, we want to be the number one women's soccer team in San Antonio period. Now, does that mean I'm some guru? No, absolutely not. Like I learn stuff every day. I learn stuff from my staff. I learn stuff from other people uh, that uh, colleagues of mine that by no means do I feel like I have all the answers, but we want to at least provide an opportunity for play for coaches to come out and watch us and uh, see how we handle things, how we play. Maybe they like it. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's just a different way to look at things, but it's an opportunity for us to have discussion. Some of the best learning situations I've had as a coach, this is now my 20th college preseason is just been sitting around over coffee or uh, around a dry erase board and just bantering about like, why would you do that? Or how do you do that? Or like, how would you, okay, I get that, but how do you teach it? And how do you help your players understand it? You know, those are the best things, just being able to sit around a round table and just, or even a, again, a, a magnet board and just have discussions like that as a coach, hey, you know, I never really thought of that. And, um, you know, so that's what we want to try to create. We would, you know, we've even talked with uh, local, you know, uh, organi- organizers in town as far as how can we do more coaching education? How can we do more things that we can bring out uh, young coaches that want to learn and just be around our environment and be able to have those types of discussions and, and learning sessions? Because again, I know that I will gain probably just as much, if not more, than potentially other play, you know, other coaches that might be around us. That's awesome to hear. Yep. That's excellent. You're well, doing lots of good stuff with the program. We're, we're all a little disappointed uh, <laughs> that we don't get to see the team play this season uh, that we have to wait until the spring. So another six months, but um, we're glad that nothing was canceled, just postponed. And we hope 
fingers crossed that some of these fall exhibition matches we might be able to to kind of get in maybe as media or at least as uh as attendees so well if possible we'll we'd love to have you like i said i want you guys to know that you always have an open door here if if if, if permitted we'd always right. love to have you guys come out so i appreciate that coach Thank you well, so hey, much. We're, we're wishing you all the best of luck in, in, in your exhibition matches and, and whatever that Conference USA tournament schedule looks like. And, and we just, I, I love the work that you've done with the program. I've been able to attend. I attended several matches last season to watch you guys and, and just to enjoy you. watching you all play. So looking forward to hopefully having the opportunity to do it again. Any uh, final thoughts or just any shout outs to the girls or to your coaching <laughs> staff or, or anything like that you want to do before we, we send you off? Sure. Um, no, I, I definitely would be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge my coaching staff. Again, I know I mentioned Cameron Carter earlier, who's done a phenomenal job with our goalkeepers. But even just adding Carl Goody, uh, who just joined our staff, literally March 1st was his first day. He worked for me for two weeks and then we went on break. So uh, but he's been he's been tremendous. He's brought uh, six, seven years of experience from LSU and the SEC um he, he's just a great balance to our staff he's been a phenomenal addition our players absolutely love him and then uh you know other another individual that does a ton for us his name's Corey Marr he's our volunteer uh he he works closely with a lot of our media stuff but he does a lot of quality stuff when it comes to our training sessions as far as our pre and post practice type activities he's a young 23 24 year old coach that's just learning uh the game as much as he possibly can as well and so they, they've all been working exceptionally hard to make sure our players stay focused, coming up with new ways to keep them engaged and, and uh, you know, again, pointed in the right direction. Um, I, I'm very, very fortunate from our strength coach, Dex Molinaro, to our trainer, Shelby Daniel, you name it. We have a phenomenal crew here that uh, does a f great, great job making sure our players compete at the highest level. So, again, the we're thankful to be together, you know, in the sense that we can continue working together and training and uh, hopefully planning for games and we can't wait for the spring to roll around and uh, you know look forward to competing against some people other than ourselves so and I think one last thing coach is you got to do a, a go runners absolutely absolutely so, <laughs> for sure so go runner birds up for sure so no I appreciate you guys for having me on uh, anytime you guys ever need anything do not hesitate to ask um, we'd love to continue uh, talking with you guys and, and uh, well, hopefully we'll see you at some games here in the near future. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, Thank Coach. You. We'll definitely get you on for a recap here pretty soon when you guys get to start playing again. So I'm looking forward Thank to that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, well, guys. If, if you guys are watching our live show, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So how do we want to start this here? Uh, there's uh, a little bit of news from the Oklahoma City match, which you know was a great win. Um, but I think majority of the conversation is going to you know, be about the Tulsa and then what happened after Tulsa uh, match here. So, but uh, just to kind of get started here, uh, you know, this past week, uh, SAFC completed their three-game home streak, uh, home stretch. Um, they had the tie against Austin ten days ago, somewhere around there, um, and they played Oklahoma City on. Wednesday, uh, August 19th, came away with a 4-0 win and a pretty convincing uh, win. And then they followed it up with a 2-0 win against Tulsa. So we'll start with uh, Wednesday. Uh, Rafa, your thoughts? I know we kind of briefly talked about it uh, previously on the pregame show, but uh, 
uh, for the round table here. What's your thoughts as far as on the Oklahoma City energy uh, game? Yeah, that was a good rebound game after kind of looking stale against Austin. So, but you know, we were happy we blew them out again. So that's seven goals to zero against OKC. Hopefully we'll do that again in a couple of weeks when we play them. But it was a good win. They, they fixed a lot of things that they needed to do. Play the ball a little bit more wider. Uh, they press, you know, attack a little bit more, more touches on the ball. And you can kind of tell that they kind of make some adjustments, especially up front, especially the change with uh, Gallegos going to forward and Prado staying in the back. You know, that, that did make a big, big difference. I know they want to play both of them at the same time. And they kind of, with the Austin game kind of, it just didn't mesh. Uh, enmeshed on this game, so the OPC game. Well, I think on this one here, and I'll go to you, Danielle. Um, on this one here, they weren't running uh, Baloney or DiRenzo up top with a Solinag and Gallegos and, and Prano here. So, I think you kind of I think you're kind of seeing two front lines now, where you got Gallegos and Solinag up to, uh, top, and then coming off the bench, you've got both uh, Baloney and DiRenzo uh, for that here. So. Thought, your thoughts on the Oklahoma City Energy game? Um, I like that we mixed up. We had talked on, I think, I don't know. I have quarantine brain about when things happen. <laughs> it, I'm in a time warp. Um, but I like that we had the three up top. I think we had all been kind of saying we wanted to see that and allowed for Pirano and Gallegos to be on the field together and I think playing in better positions. I do think that Soliniak is... is um, playing well with them up there. Um, but one of the things I think I also realized in the OKC game is we've been talking a lot about the partnership between Pirano and Gallegos, but I mentioned this ages ago at the end of last season about who's going to partner with Pirano coming down the sideline and who's going to pair well with him there. And I think what I've realized is I think this is the second, maybe the third game where they've had, um, Jose has been partnered with Blake, so Blake's been working with him. And then it looks like Christian with Connor Maloney. And I'm, you're starting to see the benefits of having that natural pairing where, where they're able to read off each other. Connor knows, you know, Connor and Blake know when to make those runs up. Um, and I think Christian and Jose are learning like, hey, when do I hold it? When can I lay it off? Um, and there's just a much better partnership there. So I think what the Pirano Gallegos partnership is really important. It's going to be critical for us because um, they're, they're central. And I feel like we've built the whole team around them. It's the partner down the wings. That's going to help them really pressure or give them a, a target player. Um, because once they get the ball sucked into them and the players sucked into them, they need someone to lay it off um, or to help pull players away. So I, I just think that's kind of that next level that um, I like. I liked. I think it's made a huge difference, and you can see some more natural cohesion with those partnerships. The uh, so there actually was actually something very big on here, and I'll start with Scott, and then we'll go back. Danielle and Rafa will go in reverse. Um, Wednesday was the first match that uh, Leo Torres came in, and you saw kind of the torch pass from Ethan Bryant to Jose Gallegos to. Uh, Torres so and I know SAFC the media team did an excellent job of promoting that it was all over the USL website 
and and even beyond that I've, I've seen that here so we'll start with you scott just how big of a moment is that you know not only for mr torres or leo torres here but also for the club in general and that's the second time i've gotten goosebumps now tonight oh uh, yeah i it was definitely a special moment and bear with me just one second i have to turn some monitoring settings off because i'm hearing myself there we go um I, and it was so cool the way the media team captured those photographs and everything from his starting moment, you know, at that age to now. And just as a parent, I can't imagine like how they've been able to capture that journey. And it just demonstrates exactly what they're trying to accomplish with that academy system. I know at the start of the season, the, the one game I, I got to interview Coach Marcina, that was one of the things I had asked him about is, how do you take and translate what you've been able to accomplish with Jose Gallegos to some of your other players now? And what does that say about your academy? And they, they, they've lived up to their word, you know? And so I think that's really what makes San Antonio FC special. I think that's why for those people that have concerns about the 2021 season, I really don't because they've obviously planted that seed for the long haul in the academy program. And I know the Scorpions academy program folded too but you didn't have I, I i i can't even speak to that rafa maybe you can speak to that a little bit more but did you have the same level of scorpions academy players and seeing the success that we've seen with guys like ethan bryant going overseas guys like jose gallegos that might be a national team player one day leo's been on the youth national team and, as well and leo, already, leo so. has been on the youth national team you're absolutely right and i'm talking about u.s men's national we, we got u.s <laughs> youth national team players already yeah. Danielle, your thoughts? Um, number one, I'm glad that he's healthy. First and foremost, yes, I'm glad year. he's healthy. I'm glad he's able to play because for any any athlete, just being able to step on the field again mm -hmm. after an injury um, is just huge and significant. So I'm glad he's healthy. I'm glad it didn't send him back or derail his, his career. So um, congratulations for him on that. Um, I, I do think that this makes a difference. You see a lot of the MLS teams and they're not giving their their academy players starts. Their academy players can't even break into the team, let alone get a start, um, you know, or they're, or they're sitting on the bench for a reserve player. So I think that that's highly appealing to lots of players um, to see both Leo and Jose and then to have several others listed on the roster because they're signed. Um, that's a huge step. And, and they continue to dominate the MLS Academy teams too. You, you, there's no way you could say no to having SAFC in that new Academy MLS, MLS system. Academy, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think, you know, he was a little rusty, but um, it's his first season out there. Um, so in his first game out there. So, um, but I loved him. He was, he was running everywhere. He was chasing after the ball. I, and that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see him out there and you want to see him hungry. So um, check. Your thought, uh, Rafa? Uh, it, was, it was nice to see that, uh, oh, like I said, homegrown player get up to the first team. I think it just shows how good our academy program is. And it's we're kind of that staple um, as far as developing players, kind of like with the Spurs, how they know how to develop players with the Austin Spurs. It's the same page with the, with the soccer team, the SAFC. So, it, you know, that's something maybe a lot of teams are probably going to start. I know. Uh, a team up, up 35 is probably going to try to copy us and, you know, as far as the blueprint, as far as, you know, or maybe <laughs> players, it, it, or you, you never know. But the thing is, 
Um, it's good to get to see him. Like I said, there's probably other players right behind Torres that are just waiting to get their opportunity. I think maybe because of the COVID you know, season being maybe short, you know, we may not be able to see him now, but I'm sure they probably see them in the beginning of the 2021 season. And like I said, it's, it's just a good way to put us on the map, especially to, you know, like European teams, because that's where Ethan Bryan's at in Belgium, you know, playing over there. And I'm sure Gallegos is probably going to end up playing, you know, who knows, MLS or maybe even Liga MX or in Europe, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere. So it's, it's, you know, kudos to the, you know, to the, to the staff. They, you know, they know how to develop players. They know how to, you know, they don't take them for granted from like other teams just to stick them in there just for show. I guess so they're grooming them right and then getting them ready. And you see, you see the, the I mean, Bava's, um, reward is, is Gallegos and you see he's performing at a very high level. So the other news that happened in between in this, I think happened Friday, late Friday or Saturday, I forget right before uh, the Tulsa game. I want to say it was Friday, uh, but SAFC parted way with uh, midfielder Jesus Chuy Enriquez and forward Preston Taborta Itaka. Um, any thoughts from anybody on, on that? You know, I, I had high hopes for Chuy coming in um, but uh, you know, unfortunately, it's another one of the RGV imports that didn't work out. Just doesn't work for you know for various reasons. Yeah, so I think it's normal. It, it's it's the normal season. You know, we always have a couple games in when everyone figures out their their strategy and their formation, see who works, see who doesn't. Um, and so I'm kind of glad because hopefully they can get picked up on another contract and find another place to play. So glad we didn't hold on to them too long and. Um, Good luck to them. Yeah, not to be a dead horse. I think playing time is obviously a huge factor for these guys and, and their decision. We talked about it on the SAFC pregame show. I think they had 60-something minutes combined minutes, you know, yeah. all season. So one was 47, one was less than that. So whatever that difference is. But I, I think it was mainly playing time. I, and, of, well, I was going to say out of the two, I, I think I would have stayed maybe with you just for, for death mm -hmm. purposes. Going into the playoffs, because mm -hmm. he said just experience-wise, mm -hmm. I, I can understand Preston. He's, you know, like I mentioned on the on the pregame, so we got we got Team Argentina playing forwards, and he's just not going to get an opportunity, you know. So he needs to go somewhere that he's going to get playing time. But I think Chuy is more. I think he brought a lot, and I think especially like let's say something goes down with PC or Herbu, he would have been a good. Bat, you know, role player to come in just just in case something happens. So hopefully, maybe they're looking at you know filling those spots and bringing somebody to just in case so we can bring in for the playoff push. I think one person we haven't talked about is I'm probably going to butcher his name, Vieira. Mm -hmm. I think he's been great off the bench. I think he's been a, a good little spark. Um, so then the hard thing is, I think he Vieira is first off the bench. Um, in those situations. So I think he would still be behind someone. And I was looking at the roster the other day. We have a really deep bench deep and player roster. pool mm -hmm. because we still have like three or four people who haven't even seen playing time. And we have the whole academy as well. So we have those five academy players that recently signed um, that are also talented young players, but able to, to fill in. So, um, and then I'm sure we'll pick up another one or two players. But that also leads me to, because, you know, thinking about injury and stuff, um, it leads me to one of our previous guests on here who we just have to give kudos to Sean Arters for 
what he's doing in terms of, of strength, training, physical fitness, because our guys are out there hustling for 90 minutes and three day, three or four days later, another 90 minutes, maybe getting 10, 15 minutes. I know <laughs> I fingers crossed, you know, but I keep watching these games and I'm like, their players are going down with cramps every five minutes or they're on the ground. I'm like, are they made of glass? Now some of that is we're milking some stuff here a little bit, but um, I just really noticed how what a different edge the team has in in that situation. Um, you can just even tell the speed, the way we're moving. We're constantly moving um, where some of these other teams are seeming a little flat footed. Um, and so I think truly that's what Sean has contributed. And I don't think there's many people who are doing what Sean's doing in the USL period and probably, um, you know, it's more at those exclusive, you know, D1 premiership levels. But um, so just a little tip of the hat to to a favorite of ours, Sean Arter. So got to keep that in mind. So, oh, go ahead, Rafa. It's the pickle juice. <laughs> to keep the <laughs> right. So but I, I, to just go for Daniel, I think I can see the as far as First, you know, not getting injured and so forth. You know, Sean is doing a great job. You can tell there's a big difference. As far as the fitness out from last year and this year, there is a big difference. But I think also part of that comes from Coach Marcina as well, because he, he set from day one, you know, he set the tempo. He said, hey, we're going to, you know, we're, you know, fitness is not going to be an issue where, you know, under Coach Powell, you know, I don't know if it was the players training or what, Um you just didn't see that same tenacity that, you know, that the team has on the field. And to be fair, winning, you know, winning helps a lot. You know, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, San Antonio FC hasn't had any um, challenging times. Uh, and not saying that, you know, as far as, you know, results on the, on the pitch as of yet uh, for that here. So, but moving to Saturday here, August 22nd, uh, San Antonio came away with a, a two nothing win. Uh, a PK scored by Luis Solanac in the 42nd minute, and then a uh, laser by uh, Ignacio uh, Balleroni, uh in the 89th minute uh, for there. Um, we'll just kind of, you know, there, there is another topic we need to address uh, after we get through here, but uh, uh, we'll start with Rafa this time. Your thoughts on the Tulsa match? Uh, that, you know, I was looking forward for this game. I know we have the Tulsa guys talking trash in the pregame. Scissor Tell Nation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Scissor Nation. <laughs> uh, but we, like so we told him, hey, we didn't have Piranha that game, and he made a difference in this game, and we, we we put the right people in the right places, and and we got the two big goals, and like you know we finished them off in that second one. Like I said, we we, we took it to them, and I'm happy with the win. A lot better passing the ball. Uh, PC was active the whole game. Beating balls. One one thing I enjoyed was Maloney's runs on the wings. Same thing with Blake. There's a couple times they needed to run back because they're leaving little people open, but we're spreading the ball out on the wings. And if you notice, they weren't able to park the bus. Every time we play the ball on the outside, they just couldn't park the bus, and we had more open shots. So that was the key to the game, and that got us the victory for for Saturday. Uh, we'll go with you now, Miss Danielle. Your thoughts on uh, the Tulsa match? Uh, Jose Gallegos is collecting souls and breaking ankles. <laughs> period. <laughs> period. End I of story. It. He took on those. Oh, gosh, it must have been early on in the first half because it's like the first note I wrote. I'm like, Jose Gallegos collecting souls. Like he just totally took these defenders on. And I'm like, 
Yeah, a teenager did that to you. Um, and well, so the dancey just... hat on the box, you know, right <gasps> on the outside. Even the announcers were just like, <laughs> they just chuckled off and laughed. And... So here's the thing. I was thinking about this because we have such high expectations for Jose Gallegos. And we're like, oh, he's holding on to the ball a touch too long. He and Pirano are still holding on to the ball like one touch too long. But I'm also noticing the players coming to support them are about one or two like seconds in terms of their, their thinking behind. Mm-hmm. This is what his third start Third start. His third start in a game against Tulsa, and he's destroying defenses. So we're talking about a teenager who's only started three professional career games Mm -hmm. and has come on as a sub Mm -hmm. and is at this level. Like, if maybe we give him four or five more games to see what he can do. (laughs) Just give him four or five. Uh, Right? So I think (laughs) the nice part is we'll be peaking right around those playoff times. So, um I feel like we're we're fine tuning everything. I think Tim Hankinson made a comment in the OKC game. We had 17% of shots on target. Um, and I feel like our shot percentage was much better this game. Um, I also am curious because I noticed the first game we had a PK, it was... Um, Oklahoma City. Yeah, it was PC, right? And then yes. this game, mm-hmm. Solanac took yep. it. Yep. So I'm also curious if we have a designated kick taker. Uh, kick taker or if it's like, hey, these three people can Community. take the free kicks. or like. So I'm kind of curious to see it over an, a few more games if we have, have one yeah. or two. Um, what, Rafa? Yeah, PC takes the free kicks from the, yeah. outside, from the left side. But he yeah. had the PK and Sonia had a PK, so but that's, that's a good not point. 100% yeah. true because Pirano takes a lot on on that too. So both Pirano and, and uh, Jose take quite a few as well. Yeah, we gotta Jose keep ones on the right. Yeah, so that's that's my thought. And then, um, yeah, I I was I was I thought all the cards were were good, straight red, and um, probably the double yellow. The guy said something stupid. But, um, so yeah, just just to piggyback off Danielle, I, I think shots was the big factor in this match. Uh, San Antonio FC had 18, eight of them were on target, so that's a pretty good percentage, and two of them you put in the back of the net, versus Tulsa, who only had six shots, three of on target. So I, I think that the, the shots really helped San Antonio FC mm-hmm. in this one, and that's exactly what we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. So you brought up the second red, and here's my question to you as a referee. And if you can't answer, you can't you can't answer it. But for Eric Bird to get the second yellow and then pretty much the ball get kicked right after that, is there any reason why the ref wouldn't just allow it to slide? You know, or you know, and, and the reason why I ask that is because it happened right at the end. Of, you know, they kicked we, the ball next. We can give cards after the game. There've been MLS <laughs> matches true. where in the tunnel. <laughs> Coaches not- and media people and whomever are getting cards in the tunnel, right? We, we've seen yeah. in a lot of high-level professional games. I, my question, Harry, is, Eric Bird, why don't you shut your freaking face? <laughs> like, yeah. you're sitting on a yellow. Don't be stupid. Now, <laughs> there's also a difference, minute. right? There's a difference in the level of referee as well. I, I don't think he realized who he was dealing with. I think – Sometimes as a younger referee, you kind of look and go, oh, let's keep him in the match and and things like that. But Luis Guardia refs MLS regularly, USL. He's been refing USL, SAFC for the past four years. He's not going to tolerate that. That's the Ed Hockey from the NFL or or whatever, right? That's the ref you don't want to mess with. 
like he knows the rules and he he has no qualms to me that's on the player you know no, no, if, no, if you're gonna pick that, up that just... second red that's that's completely on you second yeah. yellow i'm sorry you're good. You're good. but you're you put your team in that situation not second red's a whole different story here so because we only <laughs> we're only able to um make determinations on what you present to us right if you shut your mouth then i don't have to give you a yell card but if you're going to start saying something to me you're going to put me in a situation where now i have I to decide second yellow yep and and so, i've had games harry where we're all and of course this is like sunday league where where someone's mouthing off to me and no i'm like in sunday league sunday league or wherever i'm like here's <laughs> here's your yellow and i i'm ready to walk away just here's your warning and then he keeps coming keeps at me going. and i'm like I'm like, you want to keep here. going? Like, Get out of I, do you want another yellow? And I'll ask, like, I'll give <laughs> them a warning. Like, I'm going to give you another yellow. And I'll look at his team and go, do you want to help him out here? And he just keeps going off. And then as soon as profanity starts, I'm like, I'm just going to get out of here. Maybe next Sunday, buddy. <laughs> yep. So, if that, so. so as far as I think for my view, I, I thought for this week, SAFC, you know, uh, got – got the points they needed um you know they got seven points and i think i I sent out a tweet saying they were plus five on the road as far as for goal difference um at home there was uh you know uh, seven points and a plus six to end up plus 11 on this you know six game stretch that was back to back to back so um i think you have to be uh hats off to the guys and the team and the staff and, and all the guys behind the scenes that don't get any credit at all mm-hmm. uh for that here but after the match uh immediately after the match immediately Harry, after the match it? and i'll say this is when i was seeing you know safc doing one sub at a time it kind of gave me an uneasy feeling now when the fourth sub subbed happened because they they used the fourth sub which Technically, you're allowed five at this time, but you're supposed to do it in three windows. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, when it was 90 plus two, I think I saw Haravel go off and, and Partain came on, but it, I didn't pay any attention to it, you know, because at that time we were just like, hey, let's just finish the game. That was already after one red, uh, you know, to, you know, I forget, to, it was a Tulsa first, player, uh, Fabian Bautista, yep. uh, you know, for kicking the ball into D. Renzo's face. Um, after the play was over. So you had that going on, you know, you're like counting down, Hey, you know, the, the time's going to end and the sub kind of slipped, you know, the four slubs sl- slipped in. Then immediately after the game, uh, Tulsa on their social media was like, Hey, SAFC, SAFC used four subs, which I was like, it didn't change the, the parameter of the game. Um, then of course the story got picked up with Jeff Reuter, um, on, uh, you know, from the athletics saying, hey, you know, the rules state that if you go over the, uh, you know, was it the player subs uh, allotment that technically you could require a forfeit. It goes from a 2-0 SAFC win to a 3-0 Tulsa win, um, you know, for that here. So that all worked out today. Um US, USL Championship released two statements. Uh, I'll read the first one from Pro, which is the referees. Uh, during Saturday night's match, officials allowed a fourth opportunity for San Antonio to make a substitution. While the team still uh, was still inside their substitutions allotment of five, the number of moments in which those substitutions were allowed to, to occur. While the laws sh- uh, should be adhered to by the referee crew and team, 
The moment uh, the moments component is largely procedural and in place to avoid additional stoppages and delays as such. USL in consult, uh, consultation with uh, PRO as well as IFAB will uphold the 2-0 results. Um, so I'm going to start with Danielle on this here. And, you know, I know you're a referee, so, you know, we'll kind of, we'll, we'll kind of bypass whether you think it's right or wrong, but just as far as for the process where USL went to the referees as well as IFAB, how, how, like, was that the right thing for them to be able to do in this situation? Um, is there something that USL should have done or shouldn't have done um, in order to make their, their decision that they made? So one thing real quick that I want to uh, point out, a lot of people are probably like, what's this IFAB and why is it important? Um, a lot of people think FIFA makes up the rules of soccer. FIFA is just a governing body. IFAB makes up the rules of soccer that FIFA adopts. Um, so there's a whole separate organization that exclusively works on the regulation of the laws of the game. So that's important. And I would encourage everyone, if you have ever had a question about a call, look it up. IFAB has an awesome app. The other thing with that is um, they should know as, as officials and, and you typically manage that and then give a courtesy, hey coach, you're at, this is how many you've used up all your moments. Um, the question becomes, what does the law say? And in this case, it would be what do the rules of competition say? So the question becomes if it's not wasting time or, you know, putting, you know, one player on, one player on, but the clock was stopped, no time was used, no extra time was used. I don't even think any of us realized he was, anyone was subbed until the, the game even started. So the question comes down to what, what does the law of competition say? And the fact that they went to the highest governing body that oversees everything um, it is probably not as typical. And so really they, they went to get this call right. So they wanted to make sure it was done correctly. It was done properly. So it's not just a, oh, well, they don't like Tulsa or they don't like SAFC and why, why don't they just do it? Um, but what they, what will probably happen is an amendment of, and, you know, subs can be made on stoppage um, because that's probably where it wasn't clear, you know, what, what's, what is a stoppage and, and a hydration break is considered, you know, slightly different than a free kick. So um, that's sort of my objective take on it per se, maybe, maybe you're a little bit, but just so everyone knows too, every USL match and higher is reviewed by pro or, you know, a national coach. Um, so it's not just like this is going free and clear. Um, the referees are getting feedback. They're, they're getting um, coached on that. I'm sure this will be a huge talking point. And, and it's only slightly disappointing that this is what people are going to remember, not the incredible work that SAFC did and how they won um, and they were undefeated. I think the better talking point would have been SAFC's kicking everyone's butt and, and look what's happening. So, Rafa, your thoughts? I think it was just... Not, not to say an honest mistake is just, you know, ever since they made the change to the five substitutes, you know, I think that caused a little of the confusion there. And, and then in reality, it didn't make a difference in the game anyways. The game was already at hand. You know, you know, had it been maybe a 0-0 game, then SAFC scores in the last minute of stoppage time, and 
okay, then there's something to talk, you know, to talk about it as far as that to make a ruling. But I think the ruling today was fair and it was just an honest mistake. You know, maybe out of this, they'll learn, they'll learn from it, how to keep better track, not only as far as the officials, but also the coaching staff. Um, you know, some of the coaching staff needs to be aware when they have those, um, the, those allotment, those allotted times to do the substitutions and so forth. So, and like I said, they're going to learn from that. And, you know, as this is our first season having five substitutes. So it's going to get, because if, and our, under normal circumstances, if this was just three subs, this would have never happened. Mm-hmm. So, but since it's five, they probably lost track as far as the time frame is where we can sub. So it was just an honest mistake. But I think both teams will learn from it. I guess if everybody will learn from it and just move on. Mm-hmm. So I will say for me, um, I'm not a rules expert. I don't have the experience that you guys have. So I'm probably the average Joe on Twitter um, for that here. So so there's two ways to look at it. So from the SAFC side, I think that, you know, having a forfeit would be harsh, um, you know, and, and this would be for anybody, you know, especially with the, this just being a new rule. To, to say, hey, you got to forfeit, you know, forfeit a game on, on a rule that's been in place, what, a month now, five weeks, six weeks, you know, you know, um, at this point here. However, you know, if you have rules in place that are not clear, but still, that, that still leads you to believe that, hey, this should have, you know, the SAFC should have, you know, should have, should have forfeited the game. Now, you know, people a lot smarter than me made the final decision, but I think overall, as far as not necessarily on SAFC side, but looking at a USL side, I think this kind of hurts them a little bit just for, you know, from a, a view among the friend, uh, the fans and followers of the league where, because there was a clear rule. If you went over the, over the substitute, over the substitutes and, and, that's where this kind of gets into that gray matter where they didn't go over the number of players, but they went over the number of windows. And I think you know, that's where I think SAFC got off on the technicality of it is, you know, yes, they didn't break, they didn't go over the five subs, but they went over that three sub window. And I think for me, you know, just as a, you know, I'm not a rules expert or anything along those lines here. I think for me, that's where that kind of comes into a gray line to where if I was a fan of Tulsa or Phoenix or um, somebody else, just because, those three points could be extremely important at the end of the year. Not not so much for San Antonio FC to get into the playoffs or win the group, but those three points that that they're that they're getting could be the difference of them hosting the playoffs all the way through, uh, you know, through here at Toyota Field, or having to go to Rising or you know OC or you know along those lines here. So that's where you know as an SAFC fan, hey, I'm all for it. As a fan of the league. It's one where I think you open yourself up to, you know, for a little bit of criticism. Uh, My rebuttal here. to that, Harry, would be, so then when we implement new rules, do we just not enforce them or enforce them as we choose? I mean, look at VAR. There's a lot, there was a lot of questions with VAR or a penalty kick in the Women's World Cup last year where the goalies had to have their foot on the line for the penalty kick. Right. That went into effect in June with the... Um, World Cup literally starting the following Weeks week. Away. Yeah. Li- literally, I don't. Need, the, it it was just implemented in the She Believes Cup on a trial basis, and then it went into effect. 
So do we just not enforce rules until we until we feel but comfortable that's what I'm with saying it? is it doesn't so, seem like USL enforced the rules though because they had a rule and and to to the average person it seems like that SAFC got away with it because it you know it said hey if you do more than the three subs. Um, which I know letter by the law, they're talking about three players, but they did it in, you know, they went beyond the the three windows, which, you know, they're still supposed to be adhering to as the three windows outside of halftime. Because from my understanding, when I went through and looked at, I want to say it was the USL guideline um, that, mm-hmm. they, that they had for the substitutions on the return to play, they had kind of language in there that laid it to believe that so you know said hey you can do you know the three the three sub windows and halftime so it was somewhat in there but you know like I said you know like I said it's a great gray area technicality you know uh for that hair so I, I just think for a SAFC fan you know yes we got you know we were lucky I think it was an honest mistake I don't think there was any um you know, anything done to try to get an unfair advantage or anything along those lines. Cause you know, uh, I think uh, was Aaron did the heat check map and you saw this a little dot, you know, from where he just stood in a position and then the window blew. I think he uh, had one touch on the ball, Yeah. but the, the problem is, is if you, you have to set a precedent now, because what if it was a player who had played six minutes or even if he didn't score, but he has the clearance that you know sets everything up so i don't think there's a person on the field that is inconsequential um i think every every player matters everyone in the 11 and everyone in the 11 you know it just happens to be that he only had one touch on the ball um and so i I think you have to take that out of the equation because otherwise you're just then it's like well but if he had two touches now what if three (laughs) But if he has five, or where are we going to draw the line on five touches? Right. So it, it's either, and I think if the language was clear enough, I think Pro would have been able to make the decision. The fact that they went to the very, very top, which is something I'm sure that they don't do very often. Especially um, for USL, yeah. Yeah, for, for anyone, you know, you, you don't usually go. So they wanted to get it right. They wanted to follow the laws. And, and I can guarantee the language wasn't clear enough. For you and I would be like, oh, it's super clear. But it could have said something about, you know, stoppages, you know, it's I'm telling you, I've been with referees and they argue about like the semantics of this is this is what this word means um, and is is pretty specific. So it's, it's not like, hey, let's 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 just do this decision based on whether we like, um, you know, Tulsa or SAFC or the the fact that IFAB made a ruling on this meant that um, the language probably wasn't clear and, but now we'll know. And everyone going forward will probably be able to sub on water breaks um, as their fourth. So, Hey, thanks SAFC for paving the way. Great. Um, How do you you fix this from air air wrapping again? What would be the solution to this? Really the only solution is to make, you know, a new decision and they're probably going to have a call with all the GMs and say, going forward we're allowed to do this um you know as a, as a ref what's what's done is done um once the game's in play um it, it's hard um but 
as a ref, you always want to try to make sure that you're, you're counting those subs and you you know the rules. Everyone reads the rules of competition before play. Um, and, and so there's there's lots. I mean, it went through five coaches. Five coaches are who are familiar with the DA system of moments and windows. So it's not like we're dealing with people who don't know about it. They, they use it. They've been using it for years. Um, and then you have a really good referee crew too. So it went through, you know, like 10, 10, you know, upper level people you could say on a game before anything happened. And then every single player who's sitting on the sideline also knows the sub rules too. And no one said, Juan, <coughs> uh, one too many subs, Juan <coughs> fourth. Um, you know, so I, I, I would just say, let's look at the bigger picture, not just blame refs. Do they, do we make mistakes? Yes, I, I will tell you, I make probably a mistake a game, minimum, minimum, <laughs> like, um, but, uh, you know, we have to, we just learn, we learn as a crew and then, um, USL now is probably making some language changes and well, we'll let's have go beyond USL though. I think talking to you in, in, the kind of warmups here, this goes, this decision where it's went to IFAB probably goes beyond just USL MLS and, and could impact outside. Is that correct? Well, technically that's true because if you look at the Premier League in England, they've been playing with the same system of five subs with two water breaks. Now, their language in the rules of competition may be slightly different, but um, you know they may they may have phrased it better. They may have been very explicit of you know of when. Um, but I can guarantee that a lot of clubs and countries will probably start looking at what is my language and. Let me use this additional time to have a have a sub. I think a lot of legal allowed substitutes during during the during the water breaks because I remember seeing our Real Madrid game, and I think Zidane made a, I think like two subs during the water break. Now the question is, does it count as a moment or a window? That's that's where the that's the technicality. The yeah. So. It may have been that SAFC saw this La Liga match and said, oh, they made a substitution during the water break and look at what happened in La Liga. Um, and then that and that was acceptable there. So it, there's so many factors in play, but um, it, it may just cause a lot of leagues to make make tighter changes to their their phrasing for if they're going to allow that or not. Um, and from my understanding, you know, if, if my memory's right on this and Rafa could probably correct me. I know they said this is a temporary amendment to the laws of the game, but from my understanding, this is also going to be next year as well, right? This carried over not only just for the return to play for you know for all these leagues, but it was extended to Champions um, the, Cup and all that, all, all, all of the other leagues as well. I didn't think I noticed in the Champions League final a water break. I don't think the final I think they had, had a water the hydration break. break. Right. I think that's yeah. I so think it, that's the interesting part about this is is because hydration breaks aren't you know, we've had an SAFC match that didn't have a hydration break in the first half, but had one in the second half. Mm-hmm. We we just typically yeah. So um, it's just going to depend, and it may be a seasonal thing, especially because we were playing through summer, um, and you have to have those hydration breaks and a lot of warmer weather and and players just coming back. Um, so they may, they may keep it, but, um, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be, di- it may be different. And some of it, again, it goes to, but what are the rules of competition? So IFAB will have the rules, but like you see in youth levels, they'll have, you know, 
unlimited subs. So you can have unlimited subs. The entire team can come on and off multiple times. So there, there is sort of the caveat of, you know, what, And and uh, so switching gears to the switching gears to the uh, the next match, which is going to be Friday because it got switched up. It's an ESPN Deportes match uh, on 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 uh, Friday uh, for that here. Um, so thoughts on the RGV match? They're still winless on the year uh, for that. We'll start with you, Rafa. Okay. Uh, they're going to remain winless of the year again. <laughs> so, um, so the the I, I think the uh, SAFC is going to be looking forward for this game. I think they learned their lesson from the first game, giving up that late goal at the end. And like I said, we're hitting on high, high cylinders in these last few. You know, well, the last six games, minus I guess. Well, that one Austin game was kind of a little with a thumper, but and then also the the FC Tulsa. But I, I kind of see that as a win because it was we sold some points over there. But this 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 one could get ugly. I know I know our RGV gave a fight with Austin Bold, but we're not Austin Bold. We're at SAFC. We're in first place, and we're going to remain undefeated on, on Friday night. So and I'll say my prediction for the pregame show. So, but I know we're going to get a good win. On, on, on Friday. Drink For, the blood of your enemies, Harry. That's what I think. <laughs> Drink the blood of your enemies and show no mercy. Uh, I, I, I think the lineup will be a little different. And since I don't, I, I'm not on the pregame show, I will be in Austin. I think the lineup will be different. I think we'll probably put in a few players who haven't gotten a ton of playing time. Um, I don't and, think so. Mm, I think we'll have one or two different people. So I think it'll be like a Bailone maybe up top in place of Solanac. But I think the people who haven't been regular starters, maybe DiRenzo up there, um, pull Solanac out. Oh, God, I'm, I need to – I. I need Preston and Luis to send me a pronunciation guide of everyone's name like they do for like the World Cup and everything. Um, I, I think there'll be one or that. two players rotated through. I think – you know, Kai Green might get some time. Um, I think Montgomery hopefully will be back. Um, you know, so I think we'll see one or two of the people who've been regulars, but not maybe started regularly. Um, I, I think there'll be one or two of those. And depending on injuries and things like that, um, we may also see some of that. So I, I think we'll drink the blood of our enemies. <sighs> I'm going to say 3-0. Um, I think it'll be another really good game, but I think it'll take a minute for, you know, maybe Hayden Partain will come in, um, mm. get some time in there. So I think it'll, we're not going to lose the quality, but I think, you know, it'll, it'll take a hot minute to, to mesh, but yeah, I, I'm going to say three Oh, and you can quote me on that in the, the pregame show, put a little picture of me with my little thought bubble <laughs> of three Oh. Okay. Uh, um, I, w I will, uh, take down uh, your thing. And that's something that I want to do next year. Uh, is to do these predictions and, and have a little bit more of a, a tracker um, on that here. Um, my thoughts here, it's a, it's a tough match. It's always a tough match when you go down to RGV. Um, I think RGV is a wounded animal right now where they're basically playing for pride. Um, 
I've heard that they're going to have a drive-in style uh, fans there. So there may be some fans. I'm interested to kind of see how it is um, attended here. Do they even have fans on, on the before? On the games well, before? <laughs> that, that's a whole separate discussion here. To I will supple- say I think they do a lot of good stuff down there as a club um, that more people should be participating in. I see a lot of stuff and I'm like, ooh, that's cool. I want that. I yeah, want to one, that. One thing I'm just, for the kill. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think they need to go for the kill. Um, I think that uh, they should definitely get the – I think that they should definitely get the, the win, but how many times have we said that before uh, when it comes to RGV? Um, the one thing that I am interested on here is if they can get the win, then that will even the series. Uh, five wins for RGV, five draws, and, and five wins for SAFC if they can get the win, which would make next week's uh, SAFC game – uh, the one where SAFC can finally go ahead on this season, uh, the head-to-head competition, because unfortunately SAFC has never led the head-to-head with RGV because the first year RGV, I think, won three and one uh, against us here. So final thoughts, uh, you know, I want to appreciate both of you and Scott for coming on. Scott had to jump off um, a little bit early here. Uh, but final thoughts here for from you, Rafa, and then we'll or go to Danielle next. Uh, just final thoughts. I'm looking forward. Um, like I said, for this Friday's game, the, uh, the big uh, South Texas Classico. Uh, like I said, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll get into more into depth on our pregame show, and then also great Champions League final. It was a very exciting final. I thought we were going to have more goals, but and but hey, the better team did win. Like I said, you got to hats off to PSG. They did a great job this season. And then a little personal note. Um, like I said, I used to do drumming um, there for the for supporter groups and all that. One of my influences and in drummers passed away Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, Frankie Benali. I actually knew him. Like I said, I got to meet him here in San Antonio about a few years ago. Uh, passed away from pancreatic cancer. So, you know, it's condolences to him and his family. But he was one of my biggest influences playing the drums. And like I said, I used to beat, beat the heck out of the drums <laughs> there with the supporter groups. So. And then we got some prayers to him, and then looking for some more great soccer on Friday night. Your thoughts, uh, Miss uh, Danielle? Welcome back to school. <laughs> um, I was super happy. I know it was the first day of classes for UTSA, so I thought it was um, very poignant that we had the head women's soccer coach on, um, and then we found out that they're not going to have a season. So I don't know what we're going to do with the time can can the english premier league start up uh <laughs> like in a week or two that would make me really happy so um yeah my life is gonna be pretty empty um but back to school everyone be smart be safe take care of yourself um please 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 wear your mask no matter where you are um and there's so many cool masks out there so get a mask that fits your personality um, and then you can kind of be yourself or that meets your needs that you can breathe a little better. Um, but don't wear it down around your nose, wear it above <laughs> your mouth. Um, and I do have to also say, I want a black lives matter SAFC t-shirt. Um, Max does so do Max does too. I've, I said it even before Max. So I just want it. Like I said it two games ago, two or three games ago. Um, but I, I think if we did a pre-order, hint, hint, SAFC, um, I, I think they'd be good. But now I don't know if the league or someone is saying um, we can't, maybe a different. But I also do like that our coaches have continued to wear them, where I've noticed a lot of the other coaches are not 
still wearing them throughout the season. So I really want to say kudos to the SAFC coaching staff who's continuing to wear and represent and, and speak out because how many people are watching this match, how many people are coming across it. And I think I love that that's how we're representing our team and our city is by supporting people of color, by supporting our black lives. So I just really like that. And I think that's important and, and it doesn't get noticed enough. Um, but I notice what coaches wear. I notice all the time what coaches <laughs> wear. Um, so I really appreciate that. So my final thought before we get out of here, uh, I've got two of them here. Um, one, and I know this might sound odd, but uh, I know probably most of us know somebody or has family uh, down in the RGV uh, Valley here. Uh, they are doing a fanfare bear uh, drive where they're trying to, uh, uh, you know, be able to give out 300 teddy bears, uh, you know, for a very good course, uh, course, as they say. Um, it's $25 for a teddy bear and, you know, it's you know, $30 when, when they tack on the fees uh, that go with it. I think there's a ticket involved with it. Um, but it goes to the children of uh, Friends for Hope uh, down in, in the valley here. Um, I know, you know, just you know having some friends that live down there uh times in a smaller town can be a little bit more difficult so getting any assistance except especially for kids um so is a worthwhile cause here so uh just to give you know rgv a shout out here i know uh, mr ron patel doing some good things down there as the uh, gm of that here and like I said here so if you have family friends uh you know down in the valley or you're from down in the valley um if you have the opportunity to, to uh, donate to that you know please do to you know help support uh, for 90 minutes on the pitch and, and banter off the pitch, you know, you know, you know, we'll go with RGV, but supporting causes, especially for kids, which is very dear to my heart. Um, something that uh, I think we all, you know, if we can do uh, pitch in, because uh, I have a feeling if we did something in reverse, they, they would be doing the same thing, um, especially with the guys from down in the valley, uh, you know, if we, if we submitted something to them. Um, my second thought here is I, I do want to give a huge thank you to Scissor Tell Nation, you know, on the, the pregame show. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun, um, you know, especially with the banter back and forth that, you know, brought a little bit of spicy uh, going on to it here. So a huge thank you to, you know, to those guys here. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing them again soon. Um, they do the spice on his foot, I guess. Spice on the foot and especially really good with that the, I'm uh, not there for these things. <laughs> I got some good trash talk. I don't think they could have handled it. It, it, it was, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and like I said, you know, that's something that, I know we want to kind of keep the pregame show a little bit separate from, you know, from like the round table discussion that we have uh, here. But uh, like I said here, you know, we're all kind of one family here in USL, you know, whether it's, you know, the guys and gals over in Phoenix, you know, OC, you know, down in RGV, you know, with down in the Valley, um, you know, up in San Diego City, San Diego with the loyal, yeah, fair play pod, I'll, you know, get myself in trouble. Um, you know, New Mexico's pod with Chris. Um, and Alicia. And Alicia. Uh, oh, come on, Harry. Uh, Don't just remember the men's see. names. Uh, oh, Harry, shame. So on went, that note, on that note. down this road because there's too many note, to I'm going to help you out, Harry. I think you just need Seek to. Seek and strike. Seek and strike. I'm going to let you just. So right now, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do the outro, Harry. I'm going to do the outro. I failed. All right. All right, San Antonio <laughs> soccer family. That's all we've got. And what's life without goals? We out.